If you have your Bible tonight, go ahead and be turning to the book of Joshua, chapter number 5. Joshua, chapter 5. We'll spend some time there tonight talking about some things as we come to what we're going to be talking about tonight. Remember that this year our theme is the battle belongs to the Lord. We haven't mentioned that. Uh, You know, we haven't done it every time, but uh, as we think about it, you know, we all go through struggles. We all have difficulties that we want to face, that we have to face, that we're forced to face in life, but we all need the help of the Lord. And so this year we're dealing with lessons that, that deal with a lot of those things, and tonight as we look at it, we'll see a certain thing in regard to the, to the idea of the help of the Lord and, and a way that he helps us that, uh, that um, you know, it, it's not necessarily uh, the way that sometimes people might think. And you'll understand that more as we go through the lesson tonight. Now, If you remember anything about chapter number 4 of the book of Joshua, we have the children of Israel crossing over into the promised land. They have crossed over the Jordan River. They have approached it from the east side. Uh, They've crossed over at a little place called Gilgal that we'll read about tonight and we'll talk about tonight. Gilgal is a couple of miles from the city of Jericho that we'll read about in chapter number 6 and that we all know about, that the walls, that's where the walls fell down and so forth. But, but we have these people encamped here, and so we want to talk about some things tonight. Now, one of the things that happened when they came over the, the, the Jordan River and they encamped at Gilgal was that God instructed them to circumcise the men. And we're told in Joshua chapter 5, we won't take time to read all of it tonight, but we're told in chapter 5 that for the 40-year period in which they wandered in the wilderness, they had not practiced circumcision. Now that covenant had been made with Abraham many, many years before, and all of his descendants were to be circumcised, but they had not practiced that for the 40 years that they had spent wandering in the wilderness. And now that they've crossed over into the promised land, God instructs them to perform that right, uh, to recognize them as his uh, children, as his people. And so we see that happening. And then we come to verse number 8 and verse number 9. When the circumcising of the whole nation was finished, they remained in their places in the camp until they were healed. And the Lord said to Joshua, Today I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. And so the name of that place is called Gilgal to this day. God said there's something special about it. We're, we're, we're getting rid of the old. We're getting started with the new. And so uh, the reproach, all of the things that they had suffered as slaves, all of the things that were related to that, God said, I have rolled that away from you. Now if you remember, if you've been here with us as we've been studying the minor prophets, a couple of times already, a few times, we have read this name Gilgal as we have studied in the Minor Prophets. And sometimes it's recognized in a good way. Sometimes it's recognized as, as a place where other things happen, bad things happen. But in this place where we're reading about it, here is the children of Israel have entered the Promised Land. It's the place where God has rolled the reproach of Egypt away. But then again, we look at verse number 10, going through verse number 12, and and there we have these words recorded for us. The Bible says, while the people of Israel were encamped at Gilgal, something else happened. What was it? 
They kept the Passover on the 14th day of the month in the evening of the, on the plains of Jericho. And the day after the Passover, on that very day, they ate of the produce of the land, unleavened cakes and parched grain. They had observed the Passover during their wandering in the wilderness. There are occasions when we can read about that. But now they have celebrated it for the first time entering into the promised land. And from the Passover, after the Passover, there's a marvelous thing happens. They get some fresh vegetables and they get some fresh food. They're able to eat of the fruits of the land. Now that's an amazing thing. They, they're able to have the food that is provided there. They didn't just run down to McDonald's or something. They were able to get the food that had been grown in the land. It was, a remember, a land flowing with milk and honey. It was a place that, that things grew well. And uh, so we have, that's an amazing thing. They were able to eat of the produce of the land. They, they had unleavened cakes, parched grain. But why does that make a difference? Keep reading. And the manna ceased. The manna ceased the day after they ate of the produce of the land. There was no longer manna for the people of Israel, but they ate of the fruit of the land of Canaan that year. The manna ceased. They had been eating manna for 40 years. When they got up, guess what they had for breakfast? Manna. When they ate lunch, what'd they have for lunch? Manna. When they had their supper meal, what did they have? Manna. If they had a snack in between meals, what did they have? Manna. Because that is what God provided for them to be able to eat. And so when we, when we look at it, we see that God was good in his provision. He had sustained them for that 40-year period. And now they're in the promised land. They have been able to eat of the food that had been grown there. The Bible says the manna ceased. I don't know about you, but if I had been them, I would have loved to have gotten some of that parched grain, some of that unleavened bread. Something besides manna bread or manna that they had been eating. That would have been a wonderful, wonderful thing. And I'm sure tonight we could build a lesson around that and the blessings that we could enjoy. But I want you to think about that phrases that we have highlighted in yellow. The manna ceased and there was no longer manna. You see... For those 40 years, God had miraculously provided food for them. They get up in the morning, guess what was on the ground? Manna. God told them to pick enough up that it would last for the day. And if they picked up more than would last for the day, unless they did it, you know, over the, one, the, the day before the Sabbath day, what would happen to it? It would spoil, it would ruin God miraculously provided for them the manna for that entire period enough to sustain an entire nation. An entire nation. We're talking likely of a couple million people or so. Two to three million it's estimated 
that were there wandering in the wilderness. That was a pile of manna, wasn't it? To be able to feed that many people. But it was a miraculous thing that God had done. And so when we read these words and the manna ceased, what is it that we learn from it? God stopped providing for them? No, he continued to provide for them. But in this case, we understand that sometimes miracles do cease. God sometimes stops the performance of miracles in providing the things that his people need. And again, as we begin to think about that, I want you to understand tonight that we're not limiting the power of God. You know, sometimes people will argue that, well, you know, miracles, they occurred back then and miracles continue to occur today. And if you say they don't, then then you're limiting the power of God. I firmly believe that God worked in a miraculous way. Without a miracle, Jesus himself could not have been risen from the grave. A dead man just doesn't get up and walk out of the grave. Without a miraculous uh, help from God, these people could not have been fed. But we're not limiting the power of God. It's not a question of power tonight. Listen to this carefully. It's not a question of power. Can God do these things? But it is a matter of his choosing to limit the exercise of his power. Do you remember how the first man came to be? Well, that's easy. God took some dirt and created Adam. Breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. God created man miraculously, didn't he? But that's not the way he does it now, is it? God set into motion on that very first uh, uh, command, one of the very first commands that he gives Adam and Eve. He says, multiply and replenish the earth. God doesn't go go grabbing a bunch of handfuls of dirt and say, you know, here's a man. There's another one. God has the power to do that today, but he chooses to limit himself in doing that today. Same is true. How did Jesus get to be on the earth? Jesus was born of a virgin. Is that the way things happen today? No. God chooses to limit his power in some cases. I want you to think about a passage from the book of Matthew, chapter 3, verse number 9. And it's a statement that that Jesus makes. He's talking to the Jews. He tells them, he says, Do not presume... Uh, to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, what's this next statement by Jesus? God is able from these stones to raise up children to Abraham or for Abraham. Jesus says God is able to take a handful of rocks and make more people out of them, make more descendants of Abraham. But God chooses not to. It's not a question of power when we're talking about the cessation of miracles, miracles ceasing. It's not a question of power. It's a matter of God choosing to limit his power. Now, in spite of that, sometimes we erroneously hear even Christians talk about miracles. Well, that was a miracle that happened. 
at this point or that point or some other point. And I'm not talking about back in Bible times. I'm talking about something that happened when they pulled into the parking lot at Walmart and there was a parking space that was available. You know, we talk about miracles and we, we sort of use them lightly. And, and we see something that's considered to be hard and we talk about it as being a miracle. Now, I'm not saying that we're going to lose our soul because we said something was a miracle, you know, when we, when we got a parking place or, or, or something is, you know, like that. But I'm saying we need to be careful. Because when we talk about miracles, we need to understand some things in regard to them. Tonight, I want us to understand that just as the manna ceased, God chose to limit miracles to the first century, to the time whenever the New Testament had been completed, that those miraculous things came to an end. And so tonight, as we think about that, the New Testament does speak about the ceasing of miracles. Now, a lot of times when we talk about miracles and how they have ceased, we go to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And it's there in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 that we read the words of verses 8 and 9 which says, Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. And we use that passage, and rightfully so, to talk about the, the ceasing of miracles. And we could do that tonight. But I want us to go to a different passage in the New Testament and I want us to think about how God speaks about the cessation of miracles, not in the book of 1 Corinthians, but in the book of Ephesians chapter number 4. Ephesians chapter number 4, where the Apostle Paul writes about the miraculous and the end of the miraculous. If you have your Bible tonight, you might want to follow along there in Ephesians chapter 4. We'll put a, uh, put a little bit up here on the screen, but... As we look at Ephesians chapter 4, there are four things that I want to point out that are found in verses 8 through 13 that we need to know in order to understand the miraculous of the first century and uh, the end of the miraculous near the end of the first century. In verse number 8, beginning, the Bible says, Therefore it says, When he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. Speaking about Jesus, as he, has his work on earth had been completed, now he had ascended back to, to his Father. When he did that, he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean? But that he had also descended into the lower regions of the earth. He had, he had been here. He had served his purpose. He had offered that perfect sacrifice. He had been resurrected from the dead. And now he has ascended back to his Father. But in doing that, he had given gifts to men. He promised to do that before his crucifixion. You go back to the book of John, chapter number 16 in particular, and you can read about the idea that Jesus presents to his apostles when he speaks about the Holy Spirit and how it would come to them and it would enable them to, to know and to, uh, to be able to teach and to do the things that God wanted them to do. He had promised that, and it actually 
came into play when we read the book of Acts chapter number 2 on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came upon the apostles. And so when we look at it, we know in verse number 8 that the idea is presented here that uh, miracles, gifts, would be given. Okay? But number 2, look at continuing on in verses 10 and 11. Uh, The Bible says, He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers. Verse 8 is the promise of the miracles. Verse 11 tells us who possessed the miraculous power. The apostles did. The prophets did. The the, uh, evangelists did. The shepherds did. The elders of the first century. the, The teachers did. God had chosen a plan as to how his gospel would be spread. He had chosen a a plan as to how uh, his people would be cared for in the first century and even down to this day uh, within the church. And as we look at it, he says, I gave gifts and I imparted them to some special folks. Those who, who had, and I don't use this term in the way we normally would think about it, but who had positions in which they had responsibility, they had positions where they um, were, were spreading the gospel and teaching uh, the, the, the others how that they needed to live and how that they needed to act. The apostles certainly had miraculous power. Again, we can refer back to the book of Acts chapter number 2 when the apostles began to speak in tongues uh, we can go to, to uh, Acts chapter 8 and see that they imparted those gifts to other men. Uh, remember in Acts chapter 8, Simon, after seeing what the apostles could do, wanted them to lay their hands on him so that he could have the power to do the same thing. We see all of that taking place. They, they had special gifts, if you will, miraculous gifts, But not only do we see here in verse number 11 those who possess the gifts, but verse 12 teaches us about the reason for the gifts, the the purpose of the gifts. Uh, Notice he says, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Those, Those first century leaders, those first century teachers, prophets, evangelists, so forth, they could not walk around with this book. They could not pull out a cell phone with a copy of the Bible on it. They didn't have that yet. But God wanted people of that day to do the same thing that he wants you to do. He wants us to be saved in the same way, to believe the same things, You know, we could run right down the line. God wanted all of that. Those people had to know that in some way. Those people had to be able to remember that. Those people had to know about situations and how to handle situations that arose. They could not turn to book, chapter, and verse yet. They needed to equip the saints. They needed to learn to build up the body, the church and to help it grow. 
The only way God could allow that to happen is that he could miraculously endow them with knowledge that you read about in the book of 1 Corinthians, again, chapter 12, chapter 13, and chapter 14, with the ability to, to know what God taught, what God wanted the world to know. And so we have the purpose here in verse number 12. The equipping of the saints for the building up of the body. You know, we could read about in the book of Mark chapter 16, another purpose of miracles was to basically prove that the people who were teaching, that what they were saying was from God. And not some, they were not some kind of shysters. They had power from God to know what God wanted, but they had power from God to prove that they were from God. And so we have those things. But to the point tonight that we want to make, and it's found in verse number 13. He gave the gifts, tells us who he gave them to, tells us the purpose, and notice what he says in verse 13, until. You see, verse, verse 13 is going to tell us about the duration of the gifts. He says, until we all attain the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. The duration of the gifts. How long would the gifts last? You know, I've read in regard to First Corinthians chapter, or rather Ephesians chapter 4, verse 13, that miracles would last until we all believe the same thing until we all come to unity of faith. That somehow one day, everybody will be believers in the exact same thing. We'll all speak the same words. We'll all say the same things. Now that was the goal that God gave us. That's what he taught us to do to begin with. But that's not what this verse says. He says these gifts that were given to these people for the building up of the church, for the equipping of the saints, they would last until not we come to unity of faith, but until we come into the unity of the faith. So that definite article makes a big difference. Paul, what are you talking about? Coming into the unity of the faith faith. Well, we have to identify what the faith is, don't we? And tonight, I know this good audience understands already what we're talking about when we're talking about the faith, but if you go to the book of Galatians chapter 1 at verse 23, and especially in chapter 1, we'll see of the book of Galatians, same apostle is writing, he helps us to understand something about this faith, the faith. Notice in Galatians chapter 1 verse 23, People who saw what Paul was doing, they were amazed at him. The Bible says they only were hearing it, uh, uh, they only were hearing it said, he who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. It's said of Paul that he was preaching the faith. 
Well, Paul, what were you preaching when you were preaching the faith? Well, I don't have to guess. I'm not left to wonder. Paul identifies in the same chapter what it was he had been preaching. And matter of fact, not only does he talk about it once, he mentions it at least three times. What do you mean that he was preaching the faith? Well, look at verses 8 and 9 of Galatians chapter number 1, or 6 through 9 rather. There the Bible says, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preached to you, let him be accursed. Paul, what were you preaching? The gospel. Verse number 9, As we said before, so say I now again, If anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. He's not finished there. In verse number 11 and 12, he said, I would have you to know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. And then verse 12, he says, I didn't get it from man, I got it from God. Paul, what were you preaching? The faith? That's what people saw that he was preaching. He was preaching the faith. But what was he preaching when he was preaching the faith? The gospel. The good news of Jesus Christ. He was preaching the gospel. Jude says in verse number 3 of his book, only one chapter there, Beloved, although I was eager to write to you about the common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. Jude said, I have got to write, I found it necessary to write in regard to the faith, to earnestly contend for the faith that is once for all delivered to the saints. Paul preached the gospel, but in doing so he preached the faith. But notice what Jude said, that faith had been delivered, and it had been once and for all delivered to the saints. You see, miraculous gifts were to last until we come to a unity of the faith, until we come to a unity of the gospel. What does that mean? Well, the New Testament was completed about 96 A.D. The last book was written, book of Revelation, written about A.D. 96. It was then that the faith, the gospel with all of its units. They were completed. And as a result, the miraculous could now cease. When John, the last apostle, died, along with all those upon whom the apostles had laid their hands died, miracles ceased to be performed because the unity of the faith all of its parts, the gospel with all of its parts that was once for all, we're not looking for something new. 
that was once for all delivered had been delivered. It was finished. Now if you go back to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 13, is it, it really you need to look at chapters 12, 13, and 14. That's exactly what 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14 teach. Same exact thing. You see, today there's no need for us to have the miraculous. We have the Word that has been attested to. And we know it to be the truth. It has stood the test of time. So miracles ceased. But in the few minutes that we have remaining, let me give you twelve, or rather eight things tonight. In contrast, contrasting modern day miracles with Bible miracles. Eight things. You may want to jot these down so that you'll have them uh, to reference sometime. Here are eight things when you contrast Bible miracles with so-called modern day miracles. Number one. Bible miracles were always performed in the presence of people. What do you mean by that? Well, just a couple of passages. Acts chapter 2, verse 22, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him. Now watch this next phrase. In the midst of or rather, in your midst, as you yourselves know. When Jesus performed a miracle, what did he do? Did he perform it and say, Hey, guess what? I walked on the water last night. Just go back and tell somebody, you know. Yeah, sure. Uh, yeah, I believe you did. Yeah, yeah, I know you walked on the water. Hey, do you know I raised somebody from the dead? Yeah, yeah, I understand. So-and-so got sick over there and I made him well. You know, it goes back... Did you notice? He did the miracles in your midst. People watched him. They were able to see him as the miracle happened. You know, that's not the only place where he talks about that. Let me give you another one real quick. Acts 3, verse 16. When uh, Peter and John healed a man, the Bible says there, verse 16, and his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man perfect health in the presence of you all. There's a whole discussion that goes on when they're trying to accuse Peter and John and, and, and put them in jail and cause them to quit now, preaching in the name of Jesus and you know all of the stir that had arisen about this man being healed the whole stir is sort of brought to an end because even the enemies are saying well everybody saw it everybody knows it there's no hiding it Bible miracles were always performed in the presence of people number two Bible miracles took place instantaneously. You see, the Bible miracles didn't happen on the installment plan. You got a little bit now and you got a little bit next week. Okay? Like some so-called miracle workers would claim today. Mark 2.12 And he arose and immediately 
picked up his bed and went out before them. Acts 3, 6 through 8, whenever this man that we mentioned already in verse 16 of Acts chapter 3 was healed, the Bible says, and he took him, verse number 7, took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And that, by the way, was in the presence of all the people. Immediately. It's not some of this stuff, well, you know, I touched you today, and, and, and next week, you know, mm, you know, I started feeling a little better this week after, after I got home, and I, really, it was when I got rid of the gas or whatever, you know, that kind of thing. No. Immediately. Number three. Bible miracles included healing both the lame and the crippled. You know, in my mind, that sort of sounds like the same thing. But Bible words mean things. The lame and the crippled. Look at, if you will, Matthew 15, verses 30 and 31. Great crowds came to him, bringing with them the lame, the blind, the crippled. They're set apart there. And then others, the mute and so forth. And it goes on and, and talks about how they, were, how they were healed. The crippled were healthy. The lame walked. The blind saw and so forth. What, what, is the, what is the difference? Well, there is a difference. The lame refers to a person who, for whatever reason, can't walk. He, he can't use a limb. It's there but perhaps he suffered a stroke. It's there, but perhaps he's been paralyzed or he's suffering from some disease. But cripples altogether different matter in the translation of the English Standard Version. Look at Mark chapter 9, verse 43, just to see the difference real quick. In Mark 9, 43, Jesus is talking about Speaking, and he says, If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. For it's better for you to enter life. Now, watch this. Crippled. Than with two hands. You see, the idea here is this the lame person had the limb. The crippled person didn't. King James just simply says, the maimed. Now watch this. When Jesus performed miracles, when his apostles performed miracles, here's a person who for some reason, a limb, either number one didn't form or number two had been amputated. And in the presence of all, when they were healed, they were not given a prosthetic limb. They were given the limb back. Can you say your eyes get really, really big when you see that happening? When was the last time a miracle worker tried that? So-called miracle worker today. Next, whatever number lost count Bible miracles included raising the dead 
Jesus sent out his workers, Matthew chapter 10, verse 8, and he tells them, Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. You receive without paying, give without pay. <laughs> that one will be coming up again here in a second. Heal the sick, raise the dead. Jesus did, John eleven thirty five. That short verse, Jesus wept. What did he do next? Call Lazarus. Lazarus, come forth. Lazarus got up and walked out. Acts chapter 9, verses 36 through 43, Peter. There was this lady, known to all, made some beautiful garments, known by two names, Dorcas, Tabitha, identified by both in that same chapter. Peter raised her from the dead. Bible miracles included raising the dead. Now, we're told in 1 John chapter 4, verse 1, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they're from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. We're told to test the spirits. Here's the test. Next time you see someone who claims to be a miracle worker, challenge them to meet you out at the graveyard. Let's just see. Bible miracles cause people to be healed completely and wholly. Holy, not as in like God, holy, but holy meaning, again, complete, just another way of saying that. Did you catch that phrase in Acts chapter 3, verse 16, when this man was healed by Peter and John? He says, through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. Fixed it completely. <clears throat> Number next, Bible miracles never included taking up a collection. Do you remember what Jesus said? I mentioned, I said, we'd, we'd see that one again, Matthew chapter 10, verse 8. You've received without paying, give without pay. You know, modern day miracle workers, they always want to have the collection. Bible miracles included striking false teachers blind. Can you say Agabus? Acts 13, verses 8 through 11. When he challenged Paul, tried to get the official there that's being spoken about tried to turn him away from the truth. And Paul struck him blind. You know, about the only way a person could do that today is poke your fingers in their eyes, but that wasn't what Paul did because Agabus was stricken blind for a season, for a short time, the Bible says. Bible miracles included striking people blind. You know, I've had discussions with those who believed that they could perform miracles. If they believed that I was teaching something false and saying that a person cannot do that, why did they not strike me blind? I'm going to tell you something. I'd have been a believer if they could have done that. Bible miracles, next, were not performed only on those who have faith. That's the crutch that many lean on. Well, why don't you perform this miracle? Well, so-and-so 
just doesn't have enough faith. John chapter 5, verses 1 through 6, we find Jesus healing an invalid, the Bible says, English Standard Version. In verses 12 and 13, this man who has been healed, matter of fact, I want you to understand, this man had been down for 38 years, the Bible says. Everybody knew him. When he was asked, who was it that did it? The Bible says, <coughs> John 5, 12 and 13, they asked him, who is this man who said to you, take up your bed and walk? Now the man who had been healed did not know who it was. For Jesus had withdrawn as there was a crowd in the place. In this case, you simply had Jesus going to the man and asking him a question. Do you want to be made well? Who wouldn't? Controversy erupts. They ask him, who did it? And the man didn't even know who Jesus was. Guess that sort of precludes any kind of this man having faith in him, doesn't it? For that matter, I want you to think about this. Anybody in the cemetery would have about as much faith as Lazarus when he's dead in the tomb, wouldn't he? That's not possible to have it there, is it? Well, those are eight things tonight, Bible miracles that are compared to sort of modern-day so-called miracles. Again, today, instead of having actual miracles performed, we have those who are recorded for us. John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31. Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, that by believing you may have life in his name. All the miraculous that we need has been recorded for us. It has been attested to by the witnesses. And even those who would stand against it have failed time and time and time again. And they will continue to fail until time is no more to disprove the miracles that are recorded in this book. Thus we have all that we need. Joshua chapter 5. The people entered into the promised land. They circumcised the men. They observed the Passover. They ate of the fruit of the land and the manna ceased. God's word was completely revealed. 
when its purpose was fulfilled, their purpose, the purpose of the miracles were fulfilled, the miraculous ceased. Maybe you're here tonight. There's something amiss in your life. You need to make it right. We'd love to pray with you. Maybe you're here tonight. You know that you need to obey the gospel. Put your Lord on in baptism. We'd love to help you and assist you in any way that we can. If you have questions or you need to come, prayers, whatever it may be, if you need to respond to the Lord's invitation, do it right now as together we sing.